0: You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Father, to hear our voices rising to you, God, to give all glory and all honor all to you. God, we are the ones whose sins have been forgiven. And we sing for joy. We sing for a hope of what our King has done. He has taken them all away. They are gone. The the decree has gone forth. And we belong to you. And now, sons and daughters of the Most High God, Lord, who could fathom such a thing? All glory and honor go to you. And God, now, Lord, what a joy it is to hear more from this wonderful King that is our God, who is our Father, to hear from your word, what else wonderful things would you say to us out of the overflow of your sins have been forgiven. God, give us attentive hearts and ears. We want to hear from you this morning. Lord, be with us now in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Um, my name is Ricky Beck. If you were didn't you missed the announcement earlier and. I just want to say, what a, it is a privilege for us to be here, and for Harvest Buffalo to to be here with you as well. And and I know if you were here for any of the most recent uh, prayer nights, uh, then you probably heard just Pastor Daryl just sharing. Uh, just what a need we had in Buffalo for you to be praying for us, and we were going through some rough times, and and uh, just uh, slowing down, and weren't sure where things were happening, and just and now to see God answering our prayers, as David was mentioning, answering your prayers. I just want to say thank you for your support, and thank you for encouragement. And I, some of you have emailed me, or called me, or I saw you at, at Kingdom Bound a week or so ago, and you stopped by, and I just can't tell you uh, how much that means to have you guys in our corner. And when I feel like when I come back here, I'm coming back uh, to family, and family supports you, and family prays for you, and. I want you to please know, please don't stop. When you see God moving and working in fresh ways, our hearts desires, Lord, please don't stop. When you see the finish line, pick this up, this work up and uh, carry it with your mighty hands to the finish line and see us to the very end, and, and we can see that happening. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for praying, and, and please don't stop, so uh, thanks. Uh, if I could invite you to um, take your Bible and uh, grab that and to turn to the Old Testament, to 1 Samuel, and we're gonna be in chapter number... Um, 23. 1 Samuel 23. If you don't have a Bible, we have some people walking down the aisles now. If you would raise your hand up, be happy to put one in your hand, and you can even keep that and take it home with you. And uh, as you're turning to 1 Samuel 23, uh, you can probably can tell if you don't know me already, I'm not from around here. And uh, you can make, uh, I remember the first time I visited Harvest Bible Chapel here, and I I think I walked to the welcome table, and I think I said three words. That's what they said. You are not from around here, are you? And, uh, which is great. You know, I'm going to try to throw a few y'alls your way uh, in the course of the message uh, this morning. (laughs) Thank you out there. So I grew up in uh, the rural part of Florida around Jacksonville, and uh, our family owned a pretty large, substantial amount of of land. And so that meant as a young person, I had to, uh, my dad charged me with uh, mowing that bad boy, and um, it took some time. And so one of the things my dad did is my dad bought us this lawnmower. I mean, the lawnmower of all lawnmowers, all right? I mean, it was yellow, bright yellow. It was a Sears. It was Craftsman. I mean, this thing could fly. I love getting on that thing. You just put it in high gear, and it would just take off and go. And I was captivated by the gasoline that you would put in that, and how powerful it was. You just put that stuff in there, and then crank it up, and there it goes. And uh, but our, this is the cool thing was our family also we owned about forty acres, and so a lot of that was farming land, and so we had a couple farming tractors. And well, these tractors were, were diesel. And I didn't understand for the longest time how come my mom, my dad, and my uncles, and grandparents made a big deal. Ricky never put the diesel uh, in uh, the gasoline in the diesel engine. And when you're like seven years old, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, the, 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 the cans look the same. Uh, both diesel and gasoline smell funky, you know? And of both of them, you put that in something and it just goes. And so I didn't understand that for a while. But you know what it is. It's, uh, you put, uh, not all engines are meant to run off gasoline. If you try to put gasoline in a diesel engine, uh, not only you're probably not going to go very far, all right? You don't get a whole lot of traction with that. Uh, you also run the, the wreck, uh, that the, the, you're going to actually wreck that thing. You know, you're going to wreck the engine, the motor of whatever you try to do that with. Why? Because those are two different worlds. you got the gasoline world, you got the diesel world. And you're probably thinking to yourself, why, Ricky, why are you telling me about your boring childhood? And uh, the answer to that is this, because I want you to be reminded today, and I want I myself to be reminded today, that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, did you know that you are in a, You live in two totally different worlds? All right? If you know Jesus Christ, if you have turned from your sin, you have believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you, you have turned and I'm not going my way anymore, I'm following someone else, I'm listening to someone else, I'm going after someone else, I'm going after Jesus Christ, then you have been bought and paid for, and your sins has been forgiven, and you know Christ, and you live in that world, you live in the church, and we're a part of that, and all the blessings that come with that, and yet you also live in the same, uh, if you're a Christian, you still live in the same world that you came out of. You still live in a, in a world that's increasingly anti-God and hostile um, to it, right? When you are saved, God doesn't pick you up and then move you to an island on the South Pacific somewhere, all right? to live in a little Christian bubble and everything is going to be okay. He doesn't do that, does he? When you came to know Jesus Christ, he puts you right, you you, you, you live in the same place. You probably got the same neighbors, you probably got the same boss, you got the same job, you got the same family, you got the same everything, this is that same world. God saved you. He opened your eyes. He saved you, and he he left you right where you are to have a sphere of influence around you. And so here we are, here we live in two different worlds. And I want to encourage you to think that, that the things that make this world go, that we live in the things that make it happen, the gas that fuels that, if you're a businessman, you know what I'm talking about, the things that make the business world go, or the whatever it is world that you're a part of, whatever makes that go, if you try to take that and put it over into your Christian life and say, hey, the the independence, the uh, self-autonomy, I've got this, can do it myself, don't need anyone else pick myself by the bootstraps, I can do it, that kind of stuff right there. If you try to put that into your walk with Jesus Christ, you're not going to get very far. You're not going to get a whole lot of traction and I would even say you would wreck your spiritual life if you try to make that happen. God has not called us to that. You are a follower of Jesus Christ, and so you're following someone different, and you're listening to someone different, and you're depending on someone, not you, on the Lord Jesus Christ. But I know, because I live in the same world that you live in, that if we're just honest with ourselves, uh, the creep kind of happens, the, the sway kind of happens, and we live in this world and we don't want it to happen, but... It happens that the things of this world get inside of us and they begin to, we begin to try to put those things. We try to operate in the Christian life the same way that the world operates. And maybe the greatest way, the greatest barometer to know whether or not that's happening or not is to look at our prayer life. Wouldn't you agree? Let our prayer life would scream out to us, God, am I living independently of you or am I living dependently of you? Lord, I can probably measure that by looking at the time that I spend with you and pray Daniel Henderson wrote a book on prayer, and he wrote this. He says, it's so true. Whether we mean to or not, when we fail to pray, we are declaring our independence uh, from God. Now, we wouldn't mean to say that. We don't mean to communicate that. We would never be so brazen as to say that out to God. He says, God, I'm independent upon you. If I'm you, I, I don't need you. And I know that's not your heart. I know you're here this morning. If you're here, you know Jesus Christ. You love Jesus Christ. You love his church, love the things of God and the people of God and the mission of God. I get that, but I know also that if we don't spend time uh, in prayer, that we're saying, God, I've got this and everything's okay. And if if I get in some trouble sometime today or sometime tomorrow, then I'll check in with you. But until then, I think I got this. We scream that out when we don't spend time before the Lord in prayer. Fervent prayer, dependent prayer, is the flag that would flies in the heart. How do you know somebody is depending upon God? How do you know somebody is following, truly depending after the Lord? You will see the fervent prayer coming from their hearts and from their lips to the Lord. E.M. Bounds has written a lot of stuff on prayer, and he said that nothing distinguishes a follower of God so clearly and so strongly as dependent prayer. If you want to see somebody, that person is following Christ, they're dependent upon him, how do you know you'll see it in prayer? When we fail to pray, we're failing. we don't need, we're not asking God's power, we're not asking his presence into our life, and we're choosing to go our own way. But what would it look like, though? What would it look like in your life and my life if we actually believed and said we're going to go after, we're going to be dependent upon prayer? What would that look like to live that kind of a life? I think we can see it from the, an episode in the life of David here in 1 Samuel chapter number 23. And I'm going to read the first 14 verses, and it's a little bit longer, but it's worth it's our time in it. And can I ask you to do something that is, as I read this, would you just immensely, in your mind, keep track of how many times you see David in the span of 14 verses seeking the Lord in prayer? You're going to find some neat things with God has just uh, got all over this man. He is just going to the Lord in prayer. So let's read that together, beginning in verse 1. It says, they told David, saying, behold, Hey, listen up, the Philistines are fighting against Cala, and they are plundering the threshing floors. And so David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and deliver Calah. But David's men, they said to him, behold, we're afraid. And here in Judah, how much more than if we go to Calah against the ranks of the Philistines? And so David inquired of the Lord once more. And the Lord answered him and said, arise, go down to Calah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And so David and his men, they went to Calah, and they fought with the the Philistines, and he led away their livestock and struck them with a great slaughter, and thus David delivered the inhabitants of Cala. Now it came about when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, uh, fled to David at Cala, and he came down with an ephod in his hand, and was told Saul that David had come to Cala. Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a city with double gates and bars." And so Saul summoned all the people for war to go down to Cala to besiege David and his men. Now David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him. And so he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. And then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Cala to destroy the city on my account Will the men of Cala surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? O Lord, God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. And David said, will the men of Cala surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. And so David and his men, about 600, arose. They departed from Cala. They went wherever they could go. And when it was told to Saul that David had escaped from Cala, he gave up the pursuit And David stayed in the wilderness, in the strongholds, and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand." So you were doing some counting there, and by my count, I saw four separate occasions in the span of only 14 verses in one episode in the life of David that he was seeking the Lord in prayer. He sought the Lord. He sought the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. He inquired of the Lord at every turn, every time David, before he made any kind of move, what did he do? He says, God, what do you think about this? God, what do you think that I should do? Now, nah, to me, that's a, that's a life that's saturated with prayer. That's a life that's dependent upon prayer. It's like, Lord, that's the life that I want to have. But I also know that you don't wake up one day and just have a prayer life like that. And more than you wake up one day and you got a, a, a great-looking yard in the front or a great-looking marriage, you've had some work to go into that. And David has been working on it. Maybe we could better state it this way, that God has been working in David's life to cultivate dependent prayer on him and if you remember the story, we kind of jumped in right into that, but Saul is the king of Israel, and because of his sin, God's rejected him, and he has found someone after his own heart. He has selected David, uh, the shepherd boy, with a heart for God. This is, David is going to be God's man now, but yet, even though Saul's been rejected, God said, David's going to be king. God has not given the keys to the palace to David yet right? Clearly, he's not moved in. He's not set up camp in the palace yet. Saul is still reigning. He's not super excited to know that someone else is going to be taking his place and are going to be ruling Israel. So he is on the hunt for David. He is trying to kill David. He is trying to besiege him. And every turn, every time David turns around, there is Saul. And so David's hiding in caves. He's in strongholds. He's in and out of the land of Philistines as well. Saul is murdering those people around who give aid to David as well. That's in the previous chapters. If you read the book of Psalms, you know the first probably eighty-nine psalms or so in there. So much of what David experiences, he puts pen to paper by the inspiration of the Spirit to, to talk about the the trials that had come through this and, and what God was teaching him through that. And now, about the time that they they get a break, and about the time they get to a safe place in chapter twenty-three. Out of nowhere, David gets word that the Philistines are now attacking one of the cities of Kayla, and it says there in verse one they're attacking the threshing floors. That's one of the place. That's the place where you would harvest your grain, your food. You would separate the wheat from the chaff. It's where you would store your food. So this is a big deal. They're striking Kayla where it really matters, and if they don't. If help does not come, this is not going to go anywhere good. And so here's the picture. Can you picture yourself in this? Here you are struggling to make it. If you're David you're tired, you're on the run, you're preoccupied, David, David, I'm David, I got a lot of things going on, God, and, and with Saul already, and now you're going to throw this into the fire as well. You've got some other people around you. You've got some people who are, are watching you. What is he going to do? How is he going to respond? And when all of a sudden, God drops a crisis into your lap, and you say, what do I do? And that's life for us. I mean, typically, I don't get advanced warning that a trial is coming on Tuesday at two o'clock and just be prepared. It just drops in and there it is. Now it's a crisis. There's something happening right now in the now. Here it is, right? That's where we live. We live in the now and from time to time God brings those unexpected crises to come into our life. Maybe some of you had that even happen this week or this month. Maybe some of you even woke up this morning to an unexpected email or an unexpected text that something's happening with your family or one of your kids, or your job, or your friend, or something happening in your small group, or with your, in this church, what do you do in the nowness of life? Here's a principle from God's word. In the nowness of life, prayer is how we respond first. Prayer should be how we respond first. Don't you see that in David's life? I'm not making this up right there. In verse number two, David inquired of the Lord. I and mean, that's like the most natural thing. Like it reads off the page. Like this is the most natural thing in the world for David to do. He prays. And then God says, yes, I want you to get up. I want you to go deliver them. So what does David do? He goes to his men, and they have questions. What does David do? He prays once more. Later on, after the aftermath of the deliverance, what he has, he's got questions. He goes to the Lord. He prays. He prays. He seeks the Lord over and over again. David wanted the presence of God. In his life. God, I want you to be in this. I would well imagine he knows the times when God has been with him in this and the times when God hasn't, the time he sought the Lord, and the time he hasn't. He says, God, I don't want to be over there. I want to be right where you are. I want you to be right where I am. God needs you to move in this. What do I do? Prayer became his first response. And I read that, and I'm like, Lord, I want that in my life. Lord, I want to respond like he does in this chapter over and over again. I want, like you want, I want prayer to be the hallmark of my life. You say, well, that's not true right now of my life. But did you know that it's God's will for you? It is your is God's will for your life and for mine that we will be living lives of dependency of prayer on prayer upon the Lord. And then check this, that God is actually at work in your life to make that true of you and of me. I'll say it again. Did you realize that God will put you in certain situations to cultivate dependence upon Him in prayer? That God will take you places that you don't want to go, to bring about and you things that you couldn't do otherwise. I mean, just think—is your view of God big enough for that? That God will actually do that. He will—he will select it. He will—he will craft. He will put together just the right things so for you to get the—the the goal that would come out of that. That God would do that. Some people say, "Hey, no, that God would never do that. God loves me too much. He wants me to happy. He would never do things like that to—to to bring about those things in my life." That's baloney. God isn't as interested in your personal happiness as He is your personal holiness. And so God is willing and able to craft, with all the love and the wisdom in the world, those kind of circumstances to cultivate that in your life. I mean, look at David. God could have given David the keys to the palace right away. God could have removed Saul right away. But why not? Why was there a waiting? Why was there a wilderness? Why was there a delay? Because God was in it for the long haul in David's life. God had things to teach David in all of this. And God is in the long haul for, for you and for my life as well. Just think about the situations right now in your life that consider how, God, are you now at work in my life? How are you trying to use these situations to bring about things and bring about gold and dependency upon you into my life? That God is a jealous God, and he wants all of you, not some of you, he wants all of you, and he will help to bring that about you say, oh, if God, Ricky, if, if, if prayer is God's will, if that's what God wants from me, he's willing to do these things, then why in the wide world of sports is prayer so hard? Why is it so tough? Why do I find it's hard to get traction on this? I was reading a book on prayer and I thought the author uh, on that, just he wrote down a few things that I just jotted down in my notes that I thought were so good. Here are four reasons why prayer is so tough. Here's the first one, because our flesh opposes it. Our flesh opposes dependency upon prayer. Our flesh, this is what we still live. We, we've been redeemed, we're saved, we got the spirit of God lives inside of us, and yet we also have this flesh that wages war against the spirit, so the things that we don't do, that we ought to do, that we want to do, why does it happen? Because it's still there. And our flesh wants what's shortest. Our flesh wants what's quickest, what's easiest. It wants to be apathetic. It will tell you, hey, was that really important? You really didn't spend that much time in prayer? It wants to be spiritually lazy. Just take it easy. It's a summer break now. School's not in right now. Go slower now. Let off the gas now. You don't need to be as dependent now as you normally do. And it wants to be worldly. And I tell you, what else could you be doing right now? What else could you be doing? Instead of time on prayer, how could you be spending your time in a different way? Anything of spiritual value, your flesh is going to do the opposite. I mean, just think about that for a second. I mean, you're sitting at home. It's 10:30 at night. You just finished up your favorite TV program, and uh, and uh, you're thinking something. I could go. I should probably go to bed right now. I can need to get up early in the morning. I want to spend time with the Lord in prayer, and that would be what's good for me. But then your flesh is saying, "Hey, I don't you just watch one more TV show?" You see the next program coming, ah, and your flesh is like, "Just go ahead. It's okay. Watch one more. It'll be it'll be all right." It just, just greases a slide for you. You're sitting there and you're watching that, and you got a couple of bowls of ice cream there, and you've eaten that ice cream. And you've come to the bottom of that bowl of ice cream and, you're, and your flesh is saying, just go ahead and have a little bit more. Why not just go ahead and put a little fudge on that, put a little cherry on that? Just put all that good stuff on there. I mean, your flesh is just not telling you, it's not putting in a fight. It's actually telling you to get more of that stuff. Now, all of a sudden, your mind goes to, wait a second, I could be using this time in prayer. I could get up from the couch. I could go into my kid's room. I could bend over their beds and spend time in prayer for them. I could get up from the couch and I could spend time with my na- on, for, in prayer for my neighbor who is struggling right now or for whatever the situation that is in. I should be spending time. I could grab my wife. We could do something spiritual and spend time with the Lord in prayer. You start thinking those kind of thoughts. All of a sudden, your flesh is like, there's a battle that consumes on you. All of a sudden, you're tired. All of a sudden, your eyes get heavy. you got a million things going on in your life that you could think I could be doing. It's like, where was this stuff five minutes ago? I was eating the ice cream. Where was this five minutes ago? I was watching a TV show. Your flesh is at war with you. You need to know that and recognize that I'm not going to give in to my flesh. I want to kill the desires of the flesh. I want to do the things of God. You're in a battle. Our flesh opposes it. How about this one? Why is prayer hard? Because Satan hates it. Because Satan hates it. He will bring distractions out of nowhere. If you're trying to get some spiritual and prayer momentum going on in your life, he doesn't want you praying for your family. He doesn't want you praying for the people in your sphere of influence. He doesn't want your first response to be a prayer. He's not concerned at all if your first response is to be fearful and to be worried. He doesn't care at all if you start calling your friends, having a pity party, this is what's going on, what should I do? And he's not worried about that. He's not concerned if you sit down and gather your family or gather your wife at the dinner table and say, honey, we're gonna sit here until we manufacture something. We're gonna get out of this crisis. We're gonna get out of this now right, now. we're not getting up somehow. We're gonna find a way. By our own strength, we're gonna pull ourselves up. We're gonna do this. Not concerned not concerned with any worldly weapon that you would bring against those crises. But you get humble and you start praying and you start gathering the help of heaven on your side and now he begins to tremble and he will go to work to try to keep you off of your knees. You just need to know that. So why is prayer hard? Our flesh is our enemy. And third, because our hearts, our hearts doubt its power. And it's hard for me to say that to you because I, I know that hurts and hurts me to think about that. Why is prayer hard for me? Why isn't prayer my first response in the now? Because on some level we doubt its power. On some level. Because if we really believed in the power of prayer, would we not pray more? But we buy into the lie. We buy into the lie that, that I could get more accomplished if I get up on my feet and get off my knees. I can get more done than if I stay on my, my knees before the Lord. And so, man, so we have this doubt. So, what do we do? Could I make a suggestion? Could you encourage one another when the times when God is working and answering prayers in your life, that you would share that with others? As I was sharing with you earlier, that God is answering your prayers. You're praying for Harvest Buffalo, and God is working in that. Would you share those? Because what happens when I hear that God is answering your prayers? He is working as you get on your knees to seek Him. That makes me, just, that makes me want to get up and go spend time in prayer right away. It's just the same way when I hear somebody that comes to Christ. When I hear somebody, a testimony, somebody comes to know Jesus Christ, the person that you thought was never going to be able to be saved. This was the Saul of Tarsus in your life. There's no way. But here they are. Now they're in this baptism pool over here, and they're giving testimony that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And you're like, I can't believe God saved that person. When I hear that, I hear that. I want to get out of my seat. I want to go to the back. I want to find somebody whose lost, does who's not know Jesus. Say, hey, here is the Savior. Run to him. Why? Because I'm so encouraged that God is still saving people. And saying that God is still answering prayers. And when we are fearful and doubtful, the best thing to do is say, hey, God, let's share with one another. Let's stir one another up to love and good deeds and through prayer. that We would believe again and act on the power of prayer again. And fourth, why is prayer hard? Because we neglect to make time. That's just true. We neglect to make time. Peter, Lord, has said that most people pray out of a sense of, of crisis. We pray out of a sense of, of crisis hits, something happens in the now. We don't pray until we, we feel a, a boulder hits us, or in some way, something has happened to make you feel weak. If I could just encourage you the truth today, every day, if you are a believer, mom, dad, teacher, grandparent, aunt, uncle, listen, if I could just tell you, you are weak every single day. It's not when you feel weak that you are weak. It's when you are weak every single day. There's nothing that you can accomplish, Jesus says, on your own. We are spiritually weak, and so we pray out of that. God, I need your help. I mean, imagine if God would open up our eyes for just a little bit to see what he sees and to see the the spiritual realm around us. He would say, God, give me your perspective for a few moments of how weak I am. I know we would go from, Lord, I thought I was way up here. I thought I had it together, but, Lord, you have shown me I am way down here. And if God would do that, it would just blow us away. We'd spend time, we'd get down, and we need you. And David understood that he was weak, and so he was making time to pray. And I know if you are a dad, or if you are a mom, you've got a lot of things going on. And I know tomorrow the uh, alarm's going to go off, and you're going to be off to the races. And every single one of us is going to be busy could I encourage you to do the first thing that you would do every single day, that you would declare your dependence upon the Lord, say my first conversation is going to be with you because I am so spiritually weak. I can't do this apart from you. can't do it alone. And so I think, God, we could learn from this. Lord, a dependent prayer is one who prays uh, in her first response. What else do I need to know if I'm going to be dependent in prayer You need to know that in those now things that happen, in those crises that come, prayer is also how we unload fear. We unload fear. What happens when those crises come, when it hits you this week or hits you last week or hits you in a few weeks from now, when that crisis comes, what also comes along with it? Usually it's it's fear. God, I'm afraid. I don't know what's going to happen here. What am I going to do with that? What's going to transpire? What do we do with that? Go back to the story. Look at uh, verse number three. All right, David's met with the Lord. He's moving ahead in, in faith. He's ready to go. God said it. That settles it. We're going to do it. But his men aren't seeing it. Verse number three But David's men said to him, Behold, a reality check, bro. Look around, man. We are afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Caleb against the ranks of the Philistines? And what are they doing? What are they doing? They're saying, like, hey, how are we going to accomplish this? They're starting to do the math in their head. They're looking at what they got, and what they, they're looking at their circumstances saying, this can't be done. They're saying, look, we've we, been we on the run from Saul. We've barely got to a place of safety here. We, we barely escaped from our li- with our lives every single time, and now he wants to go against the Philistines. We don't know how many soldiers they have. We don't know how what kind of weapons they have. We don't know any of that stuff. So we just know you're telling us to go and look at what we have. It can't be done. If you kind of consider what kind of men these are, you you kind of feel for David. Look at chapter 22, verse 2. There's a description of these men. It says, And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was in discontented gathered to David, and he became captain over them 400 men. So David's got all the most indebted, distressed. I mean, these people are, these are guys that are, they're struggling. And so now these are afraid. And if I'm David, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Maybe there's some uh, good reasons for that. Fear comes when we allow ourselves to look at the circumstances and we start doing the math. God, how is this going to play out? What if they say this? What if I do this? What if this happens and that happens? Where is this going to go and where am I going to do it? And if this, we go here and this where is that going to go? We start doing the math in our head, start trying to figure it out for ourselves. We allow the circumstances to become bigger than they are and God to be smaller than he truly is. Now we are so prone to this. We're so prone, I'm so prone to fear. We fear everything. We have fear of man, fear of finances, fear of future, failure, heartache, people letting us down, fears of health. I heard somebody say once that there was a, that they did the research, I'm not sure, 365 verses or something like that, that directly said or indirectly said, do not fear in God's word. Practically one for every day of your life. Why? Because I think God knows our tendency and propensity to be fearful We're just like these men right here, prone to be paralyzed by fear. You say, well, what's the solution for these men? Is the solution here for them to get more men, to get more weapons, to get more courage, to everybody go in your tent and stand in front of your mirror and do a little pep talk for yourself that we can do this? That's not it. What does David do? He prays. The answer was more prayer, to get more of God, to get a fresh view of him. And so David goes back and prays, one more time. And I want you to see something that is so amazing, so interesting that is here that I will encourage you. What's the ans- What's the difference between the answer and prayer that God gives to David in verse number two when he goes by himself to the answer in verse number four when he has gone at the response of the fearful amenity he has? I want you to know the difference. He comes back in verse number four, and the Lord answered him and said, arise, go down to Caleb. That's the same thing he said before, but look what's different. He says, this time, he says, I will give, I myself will give the Philistines into your hands. what moved David from the fear that he had to say I want to go after I will obey I will do what you're calling me to do it was that the Lord was going to be with him it's emphatic I myself will give them into your hand and for David he was armed with the Lord he was armed with his word and armed by his promises and that was enough for him to go into battle and it's enough for you and for me as well it's more than enough so what are you afraid of today What are you afraid? What in the nowness of life? I'm fearful. I'm starting to do the math. I'm seeing where this road is going to go, and it's not going anywhere good. Prayer has the ability to unload your fear as we remind ourselves of who God is, his person, his power, and his promises. That's That's what God was doing to David. I will do this for you. Do you trust me? Now go move ahead in faith. I mean, I just know this for me. Sometimes getting alone in prayer Remembering who God is, remembering his greatness, that is a game changer for me to remember just the greatness of our God. I love, I need need verses, I need passages, I need ideas that come from God's word that remind me of who he is, of his capacity to change things. That's why I love a verse that's in Isaiah chapter number 40. In Isaiah 40, God says that he is so mighty that he stretched out the heavens like a curtain and he spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. And then tomorrow night or tonight when you go outside and look at the stars, look at the skies, look at the heavens that God has made and say, ladies, God put all that together in the same way that you would close a curtain in your kitchen. Men, God put all that into place the same way you put up a pop-up tent in your backyard for your kids to have a little camp out in. God did all of that. We can't even fathom that. I read a, a online of a story of a teacher who was trying to find a way to get this truth of the greatness of God into the lives of her, of her students. And I guess it was a Christian um, school and to give them a sense of the vastness of our universe. And so uh, check this, this is what she did. This is amazing. She told her kids, I want you to think about uh, the distance um, between <clears throat> earth and uh, the sun as this piece of paper right here. Imagine this piece of paper represents 93 million miles. That's the distance, this piece of paper, between this earth and the sun, all right? Now, if you were to measure from, uh, the sun, from our earth to the next closest star, which is called a Proxima Centauri, you would need a stack of paper, that each one of these pieces of paper representing 93 million miles, to get from here to the next closest star, you would need a stack of paper 71 feet high, and God made all of that. It gets better. Check this out. If you were to then measure from earth to the end of our galaxy, if you were to measure that in pieces of paper, each one representing 93 million miles, you would need a stack of pieces of paper 310 miles high. God did that. It gets even better than that. Check this. If you were to get to the end of our known universe, I say known because it's kind of always expanding. If you were to do that, check this. You would need a stack of paper 31 million miles high. Each piece of paper representing 93 million miles. And the Bible says that God breathed that out in a second, and he could inhale it back in in a nanosecond. I have no idea what those calculations are in kilometers. Do not ask me that, all right? (laughs) Those are miles, all right? But beloved, that's who you're praying to. Can I remind you, that is who you are praying to. When you think about that God has done that, that God is able to do that, and he looks down from there, that he is the Lord of the heavens, and he looks down. What problem is there in your life or in my life that's too big for God? Answer, none. There aren't any. He's able to deal with those and here's the better news. He cares for you. It's not that he's just up in heaven and he rules over all that and he's aloof. He actually cares for you. He knows what's going on in every one of the, of the one trillion cells that make up who you are. He knows what's going on better than you do. And he will come and he will answer when we pray. I mean, tell me you don't want that kind of power in your prayer. Tell me you don't want God. To tell, you to, tell me what that does. That perspective does not fuel your fires. I want to get up from here. I want to go seek the Lord for the things that are going on in my life. That warms me, that warms my faith. It unloads my fear when I get close to who God is and his person, that God is always with me, that God is always in control, that God is always good. He's always watching. He's always victorious. I don't have to be afraid of what's going on. Prayer is the way that I unload that. Remember who God is. All right, so we've seen the first half of this section here. We've seen how somebody who is in the the now of crisis, the now of what happens, how what they do, they pick up prayer, they unload fear. But here's a second question. What do you do about the ongoing issues of life? You tracking with me? Here's the things that are going on in the nowness. You didn't know they were gonna happen, but they happen. But what do you do about the issues that are ongoing in your life? Go back to the passage here. All right, in verse five. You've, you've got the deliverance that God brought. This great slaughter. And if you're David, what are you thinking? Put yourself in David's shoes for this. It's so neat. You think if you're David, the fire is out. All right, the boulder has been lifted. It's moved out of the way. Now we can go back to life as usual. Right now, everything's going to be okay. Right, the crisis is over now. But look what happens in verse six through verse nine. You got this whole thing. He goes right back to the same problems that he left. The same problems with Saul are still meeting there. Saul is still charging after him. This episode this crisis didn't alleviate the greater burden that got on there to begin with. There's, he's running from Saul. He goes from the urgency of the Philistines in the first five verses now right back to the ongoing issue that's been haunting him running from Saul. The truth is there are gonna be some trials in our lives, in your lives, that are urgent. They're like Kayla. They come and they go relatively quickly. Doesn't mean they're not painful or hurtful, but they go relatively quickly. But others stay a while. Others are more like a Saul. And some of you would say today, Pastor Ricky, I'm not in a Kayla kind of a once right now crisis. That's not where I'm living right now. Some of you would say, I'm over here in the Saul. This has been going on for a long time. It's been happening for a while how do you handle those? Well, I would say the principles that we've already seen still apply. Pray first, unload fear. But here's another principle to add to the list. You want to jot this one down. In the ongoing things of life, prayer is to be persistent. Prayer is to be persistent. David's right there in Cala, and Saul gets the word that he's trapped in, and in verse 7 gives some tactical, logistical details. Basically, the idea is this. You got one road into Cala. You got one road out of Cala, and the only thing that separates David from Saul is a couple of double bars and double doors. That's all there is. And so here's David. He's back in a tough spot. What does he do? He prays. Notice it says there he asked them to send for the priest who's got the ephod down in verse number 6. What's that? What's that all about? There's a, a priest would carry like a little pouch. He would carry the Urim and the Thummim in that, and that was like a dice, you could kind of say. Uh, we, we, I've not seen one of those before, but that's kind of the idea of that. And you would use that. God had, had a, uh, said this was okay. He had approved using of this for him to give direction. You would seek the Lord, and one of the ways he would respond was through using those kind of, of dice, Urim and Thummim. And so here David is. He's seeking the Lord. He's got two questions. This is so fascinating. Two questions. The first one is this is, uh, what does it say there, verse number 11? He says, will the men of Calah surrender me into his hand? First question, is this, are they going to surrender me into his hand? If I stay here, God, are these men, they going to give me up? Second question, is Saul going to come down just as your servant has heard and he begins to pray? And I want you to see something you got. You can't miss this. This It's so fascinating. In verse number 11, at the end of that, notice that God only answers the first question or the second question. He only answers one of the two. David wants to know, is Saul going to come? In verse 11, yes, he's going to come. What does David do? He's like, "Um, God, I actually asked two questions there and uh, you gave me the answer to one of those and it'd be really awesome if you would give me the answer to the other one there. This is kind of of my life's on the line here. He stays right there, he prays again. He's not letting go until he knows, he gets clarity from the Lord, he's persistent in his prayer, he's careful about the details. God, are you gonna answer the second one? I said two, where's the answer to the other one? You haven't given me that yet. And God responds that yes, that these, they're gonna deliver you. If you stay, they're going to deliver you. What's the principle from David's life? In the ongoing issues of life that David was in right now, be persistent in your prayer. I know some of you are probably going through some ongoing issues right now. You say, Pastor, you don't know me. You're not even from this country. You talk funny up there. How do you know that that's going on in my life? Because my Bible says in 1 Corinthians that there's no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to man, that all of us don't struggle with in one form or fashion, one time or the other. I would be surprised if some of you are wondering, God, is there ever going to be a week that I do not struggle with the hurt and pain that someone caused me years ago. It's still there. Why can I not get up out of that? Why do I keep falling into that? Why is that happening, God? Will it ever stop? Will that child ever return to the Lord that I love so much, that I invested so much in? Will they ever come back? Will the situation that I'm in, Lord, will it ever change? It's been going on. It's an ongoing. Is it ever going to change, God, God, are you ever going to get a hold of my husband? Are you ever going to get a hold of my spouse? Or I've been praying for this for years, God. Is it ever going to happen? Will love ever find me? Everyone else seems to have love. Everyone else gets it. I don't. When is that going to happen? Is that ever going to change for me, God? Will my health, is it ever going to improve? Those are the kind of thoughts that we face, and they are real, and they can go on for a while. So what is the word for the Lord from the Lord about that? Hear from him this morning, not my words. Hear from the Lord that he would say, do not give up to be persistent in your prayer and do not lose heart in those. Don't lose hope that something better is on the way that God is going to answer he's going to move. Don't doubt God's love for you, that he cares for you. Keep praying. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, he told him to pray and do not lose heart. He says, will God not surely answer and hear those who seek him day in and day now for justice, for something different to change, something happened here? Will God not hear from heaven? Jesus says that he will, that God loves you. You keep going to him in prayer. Your God isn't reluctant to hear you. God is not reluctant to hear you. And hear me on this. If there's a delay in his answer, it hasn't happened yet, do not interpret that as disinterest or forgetfulness. God isn't, like he's not interested in you because he hasn't answered yet. God hasn't forgotten you because he hasn't answered yet. Do you hear me on that? That's good news that God has not forgotten you. He's a good father in heaven, he loves you and he will answer when the time is right and best. And there's gonna be a time either when that happens or in the meantime that he will pick you up and carry you on his back through the trial. But dependent prayer, that kind of a life does not quit whenever we don't get the answer as fast as we would like. God is good, Jesus Christ is good and that will sustain you, be a rock for you. So hear this, you have been given access to God through prayer so prayer is. Prayer is access. You may have not had access to a good dad growing up where you could walk into his room and get on his lap and you can ask and ask daddy, dad, for whatever you want. So that may not have been you. You may not feel right now you have access to your boss, to spouse, or to good things that everyone else seems to get. And maybe you think that it's always going to be like this. It's always someone else who gets access to good things. Hear me. If you know Jesus Christ, if you have been forgiven of your sins, if you have believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have been given access to the ears of God. And that's true. That's a fact. And be persistent in that. And here's some good news. Prayer is not a gift that some people have and some people don't. Man, that's awesome. Prayer is not something some people have and some people don't. Prayer isn't dependent upon your ability that if, if you've got an A plus prayer over here, God will listen. If you're a C minus, maybe not so much. Prayer's not like that. There's no limit. Why is that person still there? He's praying too much and God said, I'm not listening because you pray too much. There's no limit to the amount of prayer that you can have. Check this. Prayer is not dependent upon your performance. Like you're an employee and he's your employer. And if your numbers are good, he cares about you. And if your numbers aren't so good, There's another door for you. Prayer is access because of Jesus Christ. And you can come to God in prayer not on your own merits, as if you as if you have paved the way, but on the merits of Jesus Christ. And because of his cross, because of his blood, you can have access to him, and you can come to God as much as you want, as often as you want. You can have as much of God as you want through prayer. Is that not good news? I can't think of better news. That is amazing. Do not stop and not lose heart. There's one final thought that you need to know. If you're going to live a life of dependence upon prayer, in the ongoing things of life, prayer is to be uh, purposeful. Prayer is to be purposeful, and I mean specific in that. You see that in David's life. I'm not going to go back through the 14 verses, but can you just agree with me that every time you see David praying here, he's praying specifically, he's praying purposefully. God, this is what I'm asking for. Lord, I'm asking for clarity. And God, when he didn't answer specifically on this, I kept coming back with more and more, Lord. It's just here. Can I encourage you in the ongoing things of life to adopt the habit of praying specifically, especially praying specifically from God's word People ask sometimes, hey, how do I know if I'm praying according to God's will? How do I know if I'm actually praying what God wants me to pray? I just tell them, hey, you cannot go wrong with praying the promises and the word of God. Open up your Bible and see what is there and pray that God loves to hear his children pray back what he has already said to us. The king has spoken. Let's her tell the king, this is what you have said, God. And I'm praying, praying right back to you. Be specific, be expectant, and fervent. When we pray, we're after something. We're after clarity. God, you're in heaven, and you see things clearly. You see things with a clear perspective. You're way up there. Your vantage point is different than mine. You see all things as they really and truly are. I see things dimly. I see things just darkly. I don't know. My sight sight is, is limited. But you're perfect with all wisdom, and God, I want your verdict In this ongoing trial that you have me in, what are you trying to teach me? Give me clarity on that. Who are you preparing me for? Is there someone down the road that you would you show me, God, that what I've been going through that you have prepared and fashioned? That's what I would be a blessing to someone else. Or God, what are the things you are trying to do in, in, in my life? What is the gold that you are trying to refine as Peter and James talk about? What is that gold? What are you trying to bring out of me? I, I want that. I'm seeking you for that. I want your will in my life. And what a difference when you begin to pray that way. And God, what are you trying to teach me in this David wasn't praying in all of this. He wasn't praying because he was had to, supposed to, checking off a box. He wasn't praying in front of his men. Oh man, if these men don't see me praying, they're gonna think I'm unspiritual. He's praying for clarity. He's praying, Lord, I need you. I don't know what to do. He's calling out with fervency. I need your help. That's so true for us. God, help me to see this person that I've been thinking about for so long has been causing me trouble. This is maybe the source in my mind of the ongoing trial, but God, help me to see them now as you do, not how I've been seeing them. How do you see them? Help me to see their need as you see their need, God. Lord, I've been thinking that all this time that you need to change my spouse, my husband, and my, my, my wife. I've been thinking about that. I've been so fixated upon that. But God, maybe all this time you've been trying to get a hold of me and teach me that you're trying to teach me something. And Lord, I need to stop trying to fix everything and just start listening to the person who I'm married to. Just need to listen. Shut up and listen. God, you're trying to teach me that. Or God, what's going on in my child's life? I've been trying to, to teach them. And I don't know if I'm supposed to be more firm or have more, or, or more encouragement. I don't know. Help me to see things your way. I'm trying to get them to do these things. It's not happening. Maybe all that's happening because you're actually working in me that you would use them as an agent of my sanctification, an agent for me to be more dependent, to get on my knees because I realize I can't get my eight-year-old to do what I want them to do. Only you can. What are you trying to teach me I mean, don't you see when you begin to pray that way, you're asking those critical questions. That is a man of God or a woman of God. It's not just trying to get the quick fix and get out of the trial and get out of the fire. This is someone who's trying to see God make a difference in their life and God make a difference in the people around them. What a difference, it'll unlock our prayers if we pray this way for clarity. But can I encourage you this, boy? What's the real ultimate clarity that we're after? In all the prayers we do, in all the ongoing trials. God, what we want most of all is just more of you. I want more of you. And you're calling me to this, this is allowing, because you want me to have and experience more of, of, of you. Psalm 63 uh, was written about this same time. And you, know, you can check it out later on your own time when David was going through this trial. And this was his prayer you would think about well, what would you be praying for in all this. This is what David prayed for. He says, God, you are my God. I will seek you earnestly, and my soul is thirsty for you. My flesh is yearning for you. I'm like a dry and weary land, Lord. I am so thirsty for not water, but for you, God. You are the water, and my soul is satisfied in you. In the course of all of this, in all the cultivating, in all the teaching, all the trials, in the now and in the ongoing, what was happening, God was creating a desire for more of God in this man's life, and he would do the same for you and for me. And that's the only way that we would go the distance in prayer is to be specific what we're after as God himself. And so we're not after just to pray to get things. We're praying to get more of God in our life. Tim Keller has said this. He says, we should not pray for all we want until we realize that in God we have all we need. And we just sang that song, Christ is enough for me. And the aim of prayer is, Is always to get more of God first and to worship Him. And as we get there and we meet God there, then He gives us fresh perspective on the things that are on hearts and how to pray about those. So can I encourage you to think, God, which one of these are you calling me to? Lord, which one of these are you speaking to me this morning? When it comes to prayer, is it, God, you want prayer to be my first response because, Lord, if I was honest before you, you would know that it's not, prayer's not my first response, someone else is my first response, someone else or something I run to, not you. God, are you trying to call me to unload my fear because you know it's gotten a hold of me, give me a fresh vision of who you are, like David did, like Isaiah did, like everyone who's come before me, to wipe away fear? Is God calling you to be Persistent? Because on some level, you slowed down, you stopped. Maybe some of you have completely given up, and God is calling you. Say, "Do not give in the towel." Or is it that God has called you to pray with more purpose? God, I've been focused so much on fixing someone else. I've been, Lord, focused so much on. Other people and Lord, all the time you have been calling me to see you're working in me and to get more of you. That's what you desire. I don't know, but that one I think all of us could find ourselves in this passage in some way, and that God would use it to make us dependent upon Him in prayer. We wake up tomorrow and the next day that God would have all of us that He wants to have. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. And we love you, Lord, only because you have first loved us. Lord, that is the truth. That is the gospel truth. And Lord, may we bask in the joy of the knowledge that you have given access to us to come, that your ears are open to us even right now. And Lord, would you hear the prayers, as we know that you will, of everyone in here, Lord, as they are seeking your heart even now. Lord, what are you trying to teach us? Where are you pressing on us? In what part of our life, what part of our walk with you and Lord, as you move, and Lord, you hear, Lord, you give us a fresh vision of prayer that would not be a duty, God. It would move from duty to delight and to desire because we want more of you. Would you be our one aim? Would you be our pearl of great price? Lord, would you encourage this morning? Would you motivate us, Spirit of God, come and empower our hearts, engage our wills and our emotions and our thoughts, all of that, to want to call out to you in prayer and to spend time with you? God, that we would put off fear. it would make it our first response for those who have given up that make them persistent. And in the end, Lord, we find at the end of our prayer, at the time that you are cultivating in us, that we have found the the greatest treasure that we could ever find is that we have more of you in our life and we have everything in Christ. Christ is enough for us. And Lord, we would find that you are so faithful and so true and you always come through. In Jesus' name, amen.